Hi there, it's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we try our best to bring the best and most accurate information we can. That's right. And this week, I'm up first in our total weirdo power hour. <laughs> <laughs> we, got a, we got a couple of weird ones lined up for you this week, so... I hope you like them. Bizarre. I was going to say mine is at least very uh, constantly flexing. I like that. <laughs> so is mine okay. in, in their own way. All right. This week I'm talking about the proboscis monkey. Ooh. Scientific name is Nasalus larvatus. Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> You'll never guess. <laughs> I don't know about the larvatus part, but the nasalus is a, a reference to their nose, which they are named for both scientifically and their common name, proboscis. Mm. Proboscis is the name used for any sort of nasal structure, like uh, an elephant's trunk would be a proboscis, or oh. um, even like the the long curly mouth part that butterflies have. So that's yeah, a proboscis, also. Yeah, I guess for me, it's usually the context of insects that I hear the word proboscis, including mosquitoes. I can see that. Yeah, um, it's the same word. Uh, they are so named for their nose. This species was submitted to us by. Allison, the dog-loving child, and Ella, the snake-loving kid, who sent in one email together. I'm assuming they're affiliated. Oh, okay. In some I was going to say that's really weird that two people sent in their name with titles like that. No, <laughs> I think <they're laughs> same email. I think this is two children who love animals. Oh, how nice! Yes, so I'm so happy to hear from y'all, and this is a fantastic request. Very excited to talk about this animal. Mm -hmm. I'm getting my information from Animal Diversity Web. From Darren Nash is a uh, paleontologist and a science writer, and he has a very well-known blog called Tetrapod Zoology from November of 2012, and some papers that I'll cite along the way. I can't say them here because the titles will spoil what I'm going to say. So if you're not familiar with the proboscis monkey, this is a furry, reddish-brown sort of monkey. They have long arms and legs, a really long tail, and a distinct nose. Mm -hmm. For most other non-human primates, for the most part, they don't stick out. But proboscis monkeys have really taken this to an extreme. Mm. They've really leaned into it. It is a sexually dimorphic trait so it is much more exaggerated in males than it is in females. And in males, their noses can reach up to four inches long. Wow. pretty big. It's like, what, the length of, not quite your hand, like half of a hand's length. Right. And they're also not as big as humans, so... No, the, yeah, this is like a little guy with an enormous nose. Yeah. Um, and also the nose just kind of like dangles. <laughs> Like down mm -hmm. over their mouth as if they were a Bob's Burgers character, I think, oh. is what they look like. <laughs> you know, yeah. in Bob's Burgers, their noses just like point straight down. That's kind of, And they kind of like overlap over the mouth sometimes. That's kind of how theirs are. They, okay. they hang directly over their mouth, which I have to imagine must be annoying. I feel like I would get annoyed by that. Mm. I don't even like my hair being in my face. I would hate having a giant dangly nose. Females do also have a large extruding nose, but theirs is much shorter and it's pointier. It's more like uh, the mayor of Whoville, I think, is what their their nose is more like. <laughs> you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yeah. Precisely. So they do still have a big nose. It's just not that sort of giant dangly nose, the pendulous nose uh. <laughs> that males have. These monkeys are endemic to Borneo. 
So endemic means that not only are they native there, but they are only found there and nowhere else in the world, mm. other than like in zoos and stuff. But in the wild, they are only found in Borneo. Uh, Borneo, if you're not familiar with it, is a large island in Southeast Asia. It's the third largest island in the world. Mm. It is politically split between Indonesia, which has most of the island's land to the south, and then Malaysia and Brunei split the, the northern portion of the island. So it's one island that is technically within the jurisdiction of three different countries. Oh. Yeah. Borneo is also home to one of the oldest rainforests in the world mm. at 140 million years old. Wow. And along the coasts of Borneo are these mangrove swamps, which is where you will find proboscis monkeys. They typically are around these mangroves along the coasts of Borneo. That's where they spend most of their time, and they spend most of their time in the treetops. So they're arboreal mm. monkeys. Their taxonomic family is Cercopithecidae. Um, these are the monkeys that are native to the Western Hemisphere, so Asia and Africa, as opposed to things like spider monkeys that you'd find in South America. Mm. They're also not apes, because they have long tails. Would this maybe be the same group as the, that the Japanese macaques belong to? Yes. Okay. Yep. But their closest relatives are something called the Duke Langers and Snub-Nosed Monkeys. That's kind of an intro to the proboscis monkey. To get into my ratings for this creature, starting with effectiveness, this is physical adaptations. How well is this animal adapted physically to do the things it's trying to do? I'm giving the proboscis monkey a 9 out of 10. That's very good. It's very good. I know what you want to hear about. It's the nose, right? Yeah. You want to know why it's like that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why is his face like that? It's a pretty like unusual trait and very exaggerated. So you think, what kind of benefit is it providing to this animal? So extruding noses are, like I mentioned, not common in primates. Mm -hmm. So the reason that humans probably have extruding noses is because humans adapted to live in a much wider variety of climates than any other primate, right? You've got humans living in dry, arid, hot, cold, all over the planet. You've got humans adapting to live in different climates. So the extruding noses help warm, filter, and humidify air that is being breathed in. Mm. So for humans that are living in a lot of different places, they're really benefiting from like, if you live in a cold climate, you're benefiting from bringing in air and warming it with your nose. If you live in a dry climate, you're benefiting from the mucus inside of your nasal cavity, like humidifying the air that you're breathing in, or the hairs inside of your nose are blocking, you know, dust from getting in and things like that. So for humans, that's kind of why we have noses the way that we have. But we all have big noses, right? Whereas for proboscis monkeys, it's just the males have these hmm. giant noses, which tells us that it's not a survival trait, right? True. Because if they needed it to survive, they'd all have it. Yeah. Wouldn't they? Yeah. So it's a sexually selected trait. It is something that females seek out in a mate. So you, th you wonder why. Yeah, I do. <laughs> what is with that? <laughs> so studies have shown a very strong correlation between the size of the monkey's nose and other reproductive traits, such as their body size. So like a bigger nose means a larger, stronger monkey, but also um, their amount of reproductive material 
is how I'll phrase that. Okay. A bigger nose advertises a more physically viable mate. It is basically like a badge on their face. Like a health indicator. Yes, it's a health bar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We saw this with the um with the blue boobies and the, yeah. their, their foot coloring. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of animals that have these like very attention grabbing traits, mm-hmm. it's often like a visual indicator of the reproductive viability of that animal. But it's not just in looks. For this monkey, the size and shape of the nose acoustically changes the vocalizations that the monkey makes. Oh, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, because they're like producing these sort of nasal sounds. And so the size and shape of the nose is going to change the sound that comes out. Mm-hmm. And the female proboscis monkeys can hear the sounds made by these males. They make these long braying sounds. The females can hear the sounds and like translate them into they can hear like it changes the the louder frequencies of their call they can hear the way that that call sounds and know like how big and healthy that monkey is Hmm. so it's an interesting like not just visual but it's also like an auditory cue it's like blasting your mixtape through a megaphone (laughs) (laughs) being like listen to how fire this is i'm totally a hot guy that you should come hook up with That is really helpful because they live in these really dense rainforests. Lots of obstructions. You know, there's leaves, there's branches. You're not always going to have line of sight with whoever you're communicating with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if they can communicate with these auditory cues, then they can communicate over much bigger distances with each other and quicker, right? You don't have to, like, find each other and eyeball each other to, like, get a good idea of whether you want to mate with this monkey or not. Right. Um, it's like a literal blind date, right? You just, they, they <laughs> make these sounds out into the rainforest and f- female monkeys around can hear it and be like, oh, that sounds like somebody I would want to mate with. But it's not just for finding love. It's also for avoiding conflict. There's a paper titled Nasalization by Nasalist Larvatus. Larger noses audiovisually advertise conspecifics in proboscis monkeys. And that was by Hiroki Koda et al. in Science Advances in February of 2018. And I just wanted to read this quote from the paper because it's interesting. The nose to face ratio is a robust and reliable signal for rapid evaluation of male status and quality. Given that the nose size of the core male in harem groups, so you've got like a harem group that's a bunch of females and one male, his nose is likely to be larger than that of males in all male groups. Nose enlargement would serve as a badge of status that may directly deter other rival males from attacking or gain access to harem groups. The interactions between harem groups and between harem and all male groups are relatively peaceful without any evidence of direct fighting in general. So it seems like the monkeys, even the male monkeys, look at each other, assess their nose size and use that to decide whether that's someone they feel like they could beat up or not. <laughs> yeah, like they're sizing each other up. Yeah, it's like I feel like it's like wearing a WWE belt around like <laughs> It's like How many how many gym badges you got over there? <laughs> it like gives them sort of a way to assess each other without having to physically, mm-hmm. you know, get in an actual fight with each other and this seems to play out in like way less violence between the monkeys because they have this way of being able to suss each other out without having to actually come in conflict, which I find really interesting. 
and then they can hear their their calls too, right? So like if you can hear someone's call hmm. from a long distance away, you know where they are and you know whether you think that's someone you can fight or not. <laughs> right. I think we've talked about that kind of behavior before. Probably. It's just this is very a very unusual way of going about it, mm-hmm, I think, by mm-hmm. like drastically altering your nose size. <laughs> <laughs> cool stuff. Another thing I gave them points for is that they're excellent swimmers. That makes sense with the mangrove environment. Right, yeah. They're like over water, so yeah. you you would hope <laughs> they'd be pretty good swimmers. But there's also like a common misconception. I think people think that like primates other than humans are bad swimmers. It's not the case, really. I, like I've seen that repeated a lot. People think that like monkeys can't swim. I think for some of them it's a density problem. <laughs> that, that too. <laughs> <laughs> because those things are solid muscle. But so proboscis monkeys do live in swamps, which means that they're often directly over water. So if a proboscis monkey needs to make a quick escape from a predator, such as a clouded leopard, they can dive into the water and easily swim because they have webbed fingers. Oh. Right? Oh. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. They will also sometimes just do this to like cross bodies of water, right? It's not always like a an absolute emergency situation. Just they are pretty good swimmers. In fact, in the tetrapod zoology article I was reading about them, um, this is a quote. In a frequently mentioned case from 1950, a lone male was seen far out in the South China Sea. He was misidentified by cruise ship passengers as a human, and a boat was lowered for assistance. The monkey climbed aboard the boat, rested for a while, but then jumped back into the sea and carried on its journey, destination unknown. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> being out on like a cruise? And then they're like, oh, no, there's a whole dude trapped in the water. We got to go save him. You send a rescue boat out, and it's a very confused monkey. (laughs) 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 The monkey's just looking at y'all like, thanks, I guess. (laughs) What are we doing here? (laughs) Appreciate the breather, I suppose. That's true. You'd think the monkey could just ride the boat, right? Well, it doesn't know the boat's going to where it wants to go. Where is it wanting to go? Who knows? That's part of the mystery. That is part of the mystery. So I think that tells a fascinating story mm-hmm. about this monkey in the middle of the sea that was just on his own journey, I guess. But unfortunately, the water below them may also be full of crocodiles. I was going to say, there's like, a lot of stuff yeah. in that water that could also be another threat. But it's kind of like the enemy you can see is like more dangerous than the enemy you can't. I guess like you, sure. you just have to guess, like have to just hope that there's no crocodiles below you. <laughs> if you're already escaping one predator that you know is there, yeah, you got to roll the dice. Uh huh. There's a BBC video of this of proboscis monkeys jumping into the water and then having to like escape from crocodiles. It's very intense, but it's very cool if you want to watch mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. You can watch how like they're jumping from serious heights, like they're jumping from like skyscraper levels oh. <laughs> into the water they have a cool like diving form too they're very good at it. it's very mm. graceful actually and the last thing i kind of gave them effectiveness points for is that being herbivores who eat mostly plant matter so like leaves and fruits and things like that they ruminate which means that they chew cud yeah <laughs> Much like how cows do. Right. So they will uh, swallow their food, partially digest it, and then just kind of like gag it back up and then chew it again and like kind of give it another go through of the whole digestive process. So the idea is that this helps them like break down really tough fibrous plant material and extract more nutrients from it than they would if they just swallowed it once. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. It is unusual for 
primates to do this. This is typically really only seen in hoofed mammals, but we've also seen it in one bird, which was the Watson. You remember that? I think so. Another like rainforest bird that ate a lot of leaves and stuff. It's a foregut fermentation thing yeah. uh, that involves like a multi-chambered stomach that you don't see outside of ruminant ungulates mm-hmm. that often. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought that just looking at them, but they do. They chew cud. Hmm. So for those of you familiar with livestock, there's an interesting connection there. So moving on to ingenuity, which are behavioral adaptations, things the animal does with their body to solve problems that they face. I'm giving them an 8 out of 10. Uh, starting off with the fact that they are very social. They live in groups that can, like I mentioned earlier, they can either be a harem group, which would be one male and a bunch of females, or bachelor groups of a bunch of males all together. And then at night, all of the groups convene together to sleep in like bands it's kind of like breakout groups (laughs) during the day they all break out into small groups and will kind of be in these groups of like usually like 10 or fewer monkeys together but at night when they're most vulnerable they all converge together and sleep in like a much bigger band together Hmm. yeah this is called a fission fusion society oh because they you know do fission and break apart during the day, but then fuse back together at night. That's cool. Well, it helps them, you know, look out for predators that are nocturnal, because that's when they're most vulnerable, and that's when things like cats are going to be out and hunting. So um, it, it is good to find strength in numbers during your sort of weakest points. They groom and play with each other to bond amongst their groups. Aww. It's very sweet. Mothers care for their babies for up to a year, which they do by holding them close to their body and carrying them around. It's adorable. <laughs> it's so, this is normal monkey behavior, you know, keeping the baby close. It's so cute. And their social system and loud vocalizations help them alert each other to danger and escape from predators. So I think this is a great way to protect yourself, right? Find strength in numbers. There's also something interesting that I found, a 2011 paper in the Raffles Bulletin of Zoology, and it's titled, Proboscis Monkeys Have Unusually High-Pitched Vocalizations, and that was by Amrita Srivathsen and Rudolf Meyer. And it suggests that proboscis monkeys use unusually high-pitched vocalizations for a primate of their size. Why do you think they would do that? There was a suggestion by the paper, but I want to know what your first thought is. Why would they use high-pitched vocalizations? Uh, to avoid alerting predators, perhaps. It, it is. Their calls are beyond the range of hearing for crocodiles. Mm, okay. They can communicate with each other at pitches that are too high for crocodiles to hear. Makes sense. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I love that. Um, finally, aesthetics <laughs> for this animal. <laughs> I, I can't lie to y'all. I'm going to be honest. For the males, for adult males, I'm giving them a three out of ten. Okay. I can't. I don't like it. <laughs> Squidward looking. It's so- it's exactly Squidward. <laughs> and I'm not into the aesthetic at all. For adult females, you know, a 7 out of 10. It's, I think it's kind of cute. Mm. I can deal with that nose. And a 10 for the babies. The babies are adorable. Aww. Like when they're babies, they just have this cute little upturned button nose. It's just so cute. It looks like Jane from Tarzan. Oh, Like it's so adorable. Um, the fur is gorgeous. It is lush and red and very, very pretty. But they have a really unflattering like hairstyle like on their head. It looks like somehow it's both a flat top and a middle part. (laughs) I don't know how they pull that off. It's not flattering. It doesn't do it for me. And the nose just looks way too much like 
an external reproductive structure. Sure. Uh, and it's and it's just right smack dab in the middle of the face, right? So like your eye is drawn to it. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? If it was like some sort of pendulous, bulbous appendage anywhere else on their body, you could kind of ignore it, but it's it's right there. Yeah. It's the first place you look. Yeah. So I can't process that so great. But the babies are really cute, so I will give them that. <laughs> to wrap things up for the proboscis monkey, their conservation status is endangered. They are on the IUCN red list as endangered. They are legally protected from hunting, but the true greatest threat to their population is habitat loss. So these monkeys do rely on the rainforest and the mangroves to survive. So when those forests get cleared for logging or settlement, whatever, uh, we lose the monkeys, but also all of the other amazing, quirky, beautiful right. animals that live in the same forest that they do. Like pangolins. The Sunda pangolin lives in Borneo mm-hmm. and is also reliant on like the trees that grow there to survive orangutans. Yeah. You know, like there's Bornean orangutans that, that rely on these forests to survive. And loss of mangroves has like a cascading effect. Too. Oh gosh, loss of mangrove. If you clear out your mangrove, like your coastal mangroves, it really puts the entire coastal region at huge risk of being obliterated. Mm-hmm. by storms and like storm surges and tsunamis and things like if you don't have that buffer zone between your coastline and like the ocean mm-hmm. it really puts you at higher risk of of receiving a lot more damage from natural disasters yeah i wanted to wrap up with something that i found polish researcher magdalena lenda analyzed the conservation impact of memes featuring proboscis monkeys <laughs> in a 2020 paper in conservation biology and this was titled effects of amusing memes on concern for unappealing species interesting so we had to like jab them a little bit in there uh and this found that funny memes featuring specifically proboscis monkeys this was about proboscis monkeys which usually that animal receives a lot less attention than like stereotypically cute animals like pandas or koalas or something like that uh, but the memes using the proboscis monkey for humor did seem to result in actual conservation funding initiatives. Wow. People would have like Facebook pages where they would post like proboscis monkey memes. And these were just like random people, right? They weren't like affiliated with any sort of like organization or effort or something. It would just be like random Facebook users would have like a proboscis monkey meme page or something like that. And that they would get a lot of likes and like get a lot of shares and get really, really popular. And then people that had these meme pages would sometimes post fundraisers, you know, like Hmm. actual conservation fundraisers. And then people would donate to them. So like you seeing this actual turnover into like, we can realistically acknowledge that proboscis monkeys, I think the, most people would not find them to be cute. So they're not going to be winning the beauty contest. They're not going to be getting that turnover that cute animals get. Sure. Where people are like, oh, so cute. I'm going to give money to protect them. So you have to kind of go this other way and use them for humor. Yeah. You have to kind of go the funny route with them. But it works. It, it's really seemed to work. Um, in an article about this paper that was for the Wildlife Society in May of 2020, writer Dana Kobolinski said, Lenda and her colleagues looked at public donation events and found the same people who started the profiles with proboscis monkey memes also began some small fundraising actions. The funds were collected by completely unknown people with no documented connection with nature conservation, and such actions always arouse some reserve and distrust despite 
quite the noble purpose, she said. Nevertheless, the fact that several hundred people have made individual decisions to support the conservation of proboscis monkeys while they could choose another more well-known charity event or spend money on a cinema ticket deserves attention. Hmm. Right? So, like, this is an interesting way that memes that are otherwise just goofy things people do for fun and to be silly with their friends online is resulting in real world action that no, these people may have never heard of a proboscis monkey if they hadn't seen these memes, but they see the memes. They're like, Oh, that's funny. And then that kind of like puts the animal in your mind. And then maybe you might be curious about it. Maybe you'd be like, wait, why are they like that? That's so weird. Like you might want to learn more about it. And then when you learn more about it, you learn that they're endangered. And then like, it's a really interesting way of like, it's like a different type of charisma, mm-hmm. you know? It'd be funny watching the the bigger organizations start opening up positions for like lead meme director or something. Honestly, <laughs> like, okay, so I follow so many Twitter accounts and um, Instagram accounts and TikTok accounts that are for large organizations, zoos, aquariums, stuff like that even like government wildlife departments, there has been a huge shift. Large organizations are really starting to like see the utility of using memes and using humor and approachability to, to get information out there. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it works. It works so good. We should do that with public health. I think they're trying. <laughs> we need to increase meme spending. <laughs> Increase meme spending, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, you start to see this with like I feel like Monterey Bay Aquarium is really good at this, mm. and the uh, the who is it? The Oklahoma Wildlife Department oh, is yeah. extremely good at this, and like you're seeing that translate into action and translate yeah. into people caring about this stuff. Oh yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Um, if you do feel inspired to support efforts to protect the proboscis monkey and their habitats, after making some dank memes, you should do that. Um, but also, <laughs> after that, look into organizations that you can donate to, like the Borneo Nature Foundation, which is doing a lot of work on the ground to protect the rainforest and the mangroves in Borneo. Very good. Yeah, that's the proboscis monkey. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the MaxFun Network, and then we'll get to your animal. Hi, I'm Travis McElroy. And I'm Teresa McElroy. And we're the host of Schmanners. We don't believe that etiquette should be used to judge other people. No, on Schmanners, we see etiquette as a way to navigate social situations with confidence. So if that sounds like something you're into, join us every Friday on Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's John Moe, inviting you to listen to Depression Mode with John Moe where I talk about mental health and the lives we live with all kinds of people. Famous writers. David Sedaris, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Movie stars. Jamie Lee Curtis, welcome to Depression Mode. I am happy to be here. Musicians. I am in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm talking to Amy Mann. Great to talk to you. And song exploders. Rishikesh Hirway, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Everyone's opening up on Depression Mode on Maximum Fun. Changing the world with memes. I'm going to float a meme resume to NASA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I wonder if they need one right now. All right, babe, what animal do you have for us this week? Today, I'm bringing an animal that has some surprising overlapping qualities with yours. Oh, yeah? Having listened to yours. (laughs) And this is the sarcastic fringe head, which is a fish. 
Okay. Thank goodness you said that, because if I came into this cold having no idea, neither the words sarcastic nor fringe head would give me any information about what this animal is. Yeah, there are a group of fish that are called fringe head, but it's, you know, not a very common fish. Mm. So there's no uh, big hint words in that name. Yeah, this gives me nothing. Yeah. Scientific name, Neoclinus blancardi. And this species was submitted by Alexandra Roach and Alyssa. Thank you both. Thank you. Excellent suggestion. And I'm getting my information from Animal Diversity Web, Aquarium of the Pacific, and National Geographic. Yay. So, first of all, the fish is a little on the small side. Aww. Up to 30 centimeters long, or just under a foot, but usually 7.6 to 29 centimeters long, or 3 to 8 inches. That is little. Yeah. Aww. What they look like, imagine a long, compressed body, and its dorsal and anal fins are fairly long and go almost the entire length of that body oh wow yeah oh like a like a ribbon sort of like down the, yeah, the length uh, of it not quite knife fish level mm. but approaching that like a banner that goes down their body <laughs> yeah uh, they're brownish gray with red or green patches um they have a big mouth especially when it's open and they have bulging eyes that sit high up on the head. It actually kind of reminds me of the mud skipper that we talked about a while ago. That was kind of the image you were creating in my head was a mud skipper. A little bit. Are these freshwater or saltwater fish? These are saltwater fish. Okay. They can be found on the Pacific coast from San Francisco, California to central Baja, California, Mexico. So we wouldn't see them here. We would not. Darn. We'll have to go make a trip. (laughs) Hope we see one. I don't know about that. (laughs) So specifically, these can be found within shells, holes, crevices, things like that. And unfortunately, human garbage. Like Uh cans and bottles at the bottom of... It's free real estate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we can't give them free stuff to nest in and be like, don't nest in there. (laughs) I mean, they won't let you take it back. (laughs) It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) They belong to the taxonomic family Chinopsidae. And one thing they're related to is the dwarf spiny head Blenny, which is less than an inch long. Oh, tiny. So they're a type of Blenny then? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I barely know what a Blenny is. That's more than I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know the name. I've heard of them. (laughs) (laughs) So let me get right into our first category of effectiveness. Please. Christian forgot to write his numbers down. <laughs> it's the last thing I do and I didn't do you it. You forgot to do the whole thing our show is about. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the inverse problem, okay? <laughs> That's true. I'd, I'd rather you have the information and not the numbers than the numbers and no information because this would be a really short show. <laughs> I'm going to give, I'll say a seven out of ten. That's okay. So first of all, they have really big mouths with needle-like teeth in that mouth. Great. Yes. Awesome. Uh, So in males, the back part of those jaws are a bright yellow, and you can see that especially when they are open, and I'll talk more about why that is later. Yes, please. Um, Now, the female mouths are smaller and not as brightly colored. Huh. Yeah. It's reminding me of like a frilled lizard. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of getting into the surprising similarities to the proboscis monkey. Interesting. The the cross animal kingdom right? uh, similarities. <laughs> I love finding common threads in animals that you'd think have nothing to do with each other. Exactly. Uh, they also have eye-like spots or ocelli. Uh, males have these on their dorsal fins and they are metallic blue outlined by a golden ring. So when you say ocelli, do you mean these are actual photoreceptors no they're more like false eyes 
Okay. All right. Because when I hear the word Ocelli, usually mm-hmm. I hear that to mean like a very simple, actual like right. eye that like receives light. But this is more just like it's more decorative. Like a f- yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not decorative. I didn't find a functional purpose of them. When I hear about eye spots, it's usually for like the purpose of appearing to be a larger animal than you really are. Like how moths maybe. will have eye spots on their wings. Yeah. Maybe. It doesn't really line up with the other stuff, but mm. maybe. They are omnivores and they are opportunistic. They sound like a little trash monster. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's a little Oscar the Grouch <laughs> creature. And they're they're not great swimmers. And it's Aww. it's usually in short bursts. Oh, yeah. You should be a good swimmer if you're a fish. I feel like. <laughs> well, it starts to make more sense because I'm moving on to ingenuity. Okay. Where the chunk of this animal's traits belong. I think. Really? All right. So I'm giving. I'll give an eight out of ten on ingenuity. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. So first of all, their homes. They defend their homes to all ends. Oh, really? It's because their home is the key to reproduction. Uh, Males need to have a den in order to reproduce. uh, Because only then will the female uh, lay eggs within that den. Okay. So he's got to have a nice pad before she will get Mm -hmm, with him. mm -hmm. They are aggressive. Fiercely territorial, and they do not care how big the threat is. I was gonna say these are little guys. <laughs> they don't have the size to be acting like that. Yeah. <laughs> so what they'll do is they'll back into their burrows, uh, so that only their head is poking out of the burrow. Okay. So uh, that you can't see how little the rest of their body is. All right. Because <laughs> I don't know if I should be intimidated. How about you come out of there a little bit? <laughs> Um, now, whenever something gets too close, particularly another fringe head, uh, that's when they open their mouth as a warning. Love it. So it kind of unfolds into this almost triangular shape. It's uh, like a like an umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> what it reminds me of is how predators in the predator movies are designed a little mm. bit. Just instead of the, they have more of a square shape, this is more of a triangle shape. Okay. It's re- reminding me of like when you take like a tent out of the like sleeve that it's in and it just like snaps open right (laughs) now uh if that warning fails they will then attack by biting with those needle teeth so they're backing it up with something yes (laughs) they're they're all bark and all bite (laughs) they got both (laughs) 100 percent bark 100 percent bite both barrels are ready to go (laughs) according to a bbc science focus article by helen pilcher the sarcastic part of its name may refer to its closed-mouthed expression, or may be derived from the Greek word sarkatsin, meaning to tear flesh. It means that? <laughs> Referring to their temperament. Yeah. <laughs> but we've been using sarcastic this whole time. Uh, I did a cursory research on how that relates to our usage of sarcastic. You right. often hear, it like, can't be the same thing. <laughs> actually, you'll sometimes hear something described as using cutting words, right? Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I didn't take I didn't dig too far into the linguistics. So it's there. kind of using like the OG definition of sarcastic <laughs> as in will end your life. <laughs> right. <laughs> um so when it is a French head versus French head, here's another similarity. It kind of looks like they're doing a kiss fight. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're both, yeah, they both open their mouths to maximum um, <laughs> size and start comparing them to each other. Oh, I see. Yeah, so what they're doing there is they're sizing each other up. My personal headcanon is that they are kissing and that scientists just don't want to admit that they're kissing. So they're like, oh, look, they're fighting. <laughs> These roommates are having... 
a disagreement. <laughs> He's a very good friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, what they're doing there is sizing each other up again, like just like you mentioned with the monkeys. Sure, yeah. Because if one is larger, they don't bother fighting. Right, they don't want to lose that battle. Yes, but if they're close enough, they're like, all right, let's duke it out. Okay. <laughs> See, for a lot of animals, like animals know that if they get in a fight they can't win, mm-hmm. they're going to sustain an injury that could kill them. Yeah. So if they can get out of a fight, a lot of times they will choose to do that. Yeah. And these things have sharp teeth. So if they do fight it out, it usually ends in one of them getting a, a, a nasty bite on the head. Yeah. That's an area you don't really want to be sustaining too much damage. In. Right. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about with ingenuity, kind of going back to how we talked about they need a den for males uh, mm. so that the female will lay their eggs in there. So after the female does that, the male is responsible for the eggs after that point. Oh, uh, yeah. good for you. <laughs> Strong father figures. Love him. Um, so after the female lays the eggs in the burrow, they will guard those eggs. And the eggs have filaments that attach them to each other and the nest. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so they're kind of like anchored down in there. Mm-hmm. That's good because you, you don't want them to like drift out or anything. Yeah. So that gives the fringe head even more motivation to attack anything that gets close. <laughs> this is giving Mandalorian. This is Din Djarin. <laughs> don't talk to me or my clutch of sons ever again. <laughs> but also, if you come near my nest, I will destroy you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, they are ambush predators. So they will hang out in their little you know, tube or what have you, and they'll go after things that get too close for sources of food. This is my Coke bottle. <laughs> Nobody else's. Apparently, there are areas where it's like the, the seafloor is just littered with like glass bottles, mm. and divers report that each and every single one of those bottles has a sarcastic <laughs> French head in it. <laughs> I mean, listen, in a world in which landscapes are constantly being altered by human presence Mm -hmm. if you can use that to your advantage that's gonna help you oh yeah so make the best of it because that glass unless it's broken by some other external force is going to outlast that fish for by by quite quite a bit and also it's going to take a considerable amount of something to break that glass like that that glass is probably a lot thicker and stronger Mm -hmm. than like whatever shell or rock you can find. And this is kind of a hermit crab type situation where as they grow, they have to move into, you know, bigger and bigger uh, Mm. housings. So if you can get your hands on a big gulp, oh, you're sitting pretty. (laughs) Moving on to aesthetics. Uh, I'll give a, I think a seven out of 10 on this one. Okay. Is that mouth open or mouth closed? Uh, (laughs) Open. The colors are very interesting. Um, Um, So parts of the mouth reflect UV light. Really? Yes, which makes them glow green under certain light <gasps> They glow. Yeah. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> Why would they need to do that? I didn't find a purpose there. You know what? I, I remember this being a thing with uh, the peacock mantis shrimp. Yeah. How they their little flappy bits uh, that they have, mm-hmm. their little like flags, I guess, would have spots on them that were like UV colored where their eyes could see it, but yeah. others couldn't. Well, here's what's interesting because the, the mouth display thing is only for defending territory. They don't do that to attract mates. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, so it's only like something to startle like a predator or right. something like that. I mean, maybe if it is something that other fringe heads could see, maybe that's what they want. Yeah. Oh, true. <laughs> Look how cool my spots are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a secret message. It's like it's like when you write something in spy pen. Mm. Like you remember those spy pen things that I, I don't know if you ever had a spy pen when you were yeah, a kid. Yeah. But it would write with this ink that you would like shine a spy pen light on and then you could see the ink. Right. It's like that. <laughs> exactly. 
they do have these little eye fringes, which is where the, the fringed part of their name comes from. Like eyelashes? Uh, it's more like eyebrows that stick out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got so excited for a second. Yeah. And again. Okay. A mild sleigh. All right. <laughs> the SLE, again, I'm mentioning just because they look really cool. I'm all about that metallic look outlined in gold. I'm Googling a picture of them. I've like seen them, but I haven't seen one recently. They look horrifying when the mouth is open. Yes. It's (laughs) terrible, actually. When the mouth is open, it's the worst. I don't think you're really leaning hard enough into that. It sucks. (laughs) I thought it was cool. The little needle teeth are monstrous. Yeah. And they hurt and they bite. I mean, they won't kill you or anything, but it'll hurt. And divers have reported that they'll, they'll tear your wetsuit. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> These things are mean. Yeah. Perhaps not surprisingly, their conservation status is least concern. <laughs> They're fine. <laughs> they have the tenacity. They're surviving on sheer audacity. Uh-huh. Good for them. <laughs> Slay. <laughs> so that is the sarcastic fringe head. When extinction approaches them, they simply scare it away. <laughs> not today, extinction. <laughs> Call Darwin, but not for me. <laughs> what a lovely creature thank you no problem and thank you dear listener for spending this time with us today and listening to our show i hope that you liked what you heard and if you did i'd love it if you left a nice review for us on your podcast app of choice i've had quite a few people leaving very kind reviews for us recently and so i I wanted to say thank you i'm not going to have time to to read from all of them i just want you to know that i did read them from molly porcupine LHB and then a bunch of V's and then B. I'm sorry, I don't know what your name means. Is this all one person? No. Oh. This is Molly Porcupine is one person. Okay. And then LHB and then a bunch of V's and then B, who said the show is like the 2023 version of reading zoo books, which I find very yes. uh, validating. JT Pav, Yankees Girl C21, and EA Homestead. I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce any of those usernames the way that you intended them to be when you wrote them down. I'm just reading off of our Apple podcast reviews, and I wanted you all to know that I really appreciated the kind things you said about our show. Hmm. Um, That's very sweet. So if you have an animal that you want us to talk about on the show, send them to me at ellen at justthezoobus.com. We're on social media. I will let you know that I have basically stopped using Twitter, but I am still pretty active in our Facebook group, Instagram, uh, Discord, and TikTok. So links to everything will be in the episode description so that you can click on through. Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network Mm -hmm. with the other um, shows that you heard from earlier today. If you want to learn more about the network or the shows on it or learn how you can be a part of supporting our show, you can go over to their website at MaximumFun.org. And finally, thank you, Louis Zong, for our theme music. If Louis Zong were to incorporate the noise of a proboscis monkey uh, into the theme music, I think it would sound a lot like that sick saxophone solo from the Tears of the Kingdom trailer. You'll never guess what's on Ellen's mind. (laughs) (laughs) I've referenced the saxophone solo from the Tears of the Kingdom trailer like 40 times this week. We are, what, three days out from the the release Uh, recording this? I'm chomping at the bit so bad. (laughs) Oh, also, you know what? I remember what I wanted to say. Our podcast anniversary is coming up on the 14th, which is this weekend. Mm -hmm. So 
happy four years of making just the zoo of us. Yay. It's been a lovely four years. It's been a great experience. It has. And thank you for coming on that journey with us, dear listener. That's all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.